Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you, to imagine all of your smiling faces behind those masks. I can only imagine the smiles. I trust that they're there. It's good to see everybody, especially uh, if there are any guests here this morning. I want to add my word of welcome. We're really glad that you've joined us. Um, we are going through the Psalms, summer in the Psalms, and it definitely feels like a summer day. So this is a great day to be looking at uh, Psalm 23. So let me invite you to open up your Bibles and turn to Psalm 23. And I'm going to do the same. And in just a moment, we'll actually read this Psalm. We've just done a great job. Thank you, Victor, for leading us in worship. And uh, we've just sung it in such a wonderful way. I appreciate that song choice. Um, that was, I didn't even know that that song existed. So really cool song. Uh, we're going to be reading in just a moment, Psalm 23. And what I want to say before we read this psalm is just this is probably the most famous psalm in all of the psalms. Like if you know any of the psalms, you're probably most likely to know this one. Charles Spurgeon calls this the pearl of the psalms. You're 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 probably familiar with this more than any other and for good reason. I mean, when you think about it, as we read this psalm in just a moment, think about this. This psalm has encouraged and blessed and fed God's people for thousands of years. God's people have been encouraged in times of suffering, through pandemics, through wars, through sickness, through the hardest trials history has thrown at the church. This is one of those passages of Scripture that has sustained God's people. And it's one of those passages of Scripture that will sustain you. There is more power locked in these words than all the halls of Congress. There's more comfort for you than any human counselor can provide. There is more wisdom than in any self-help book. So as we read these words, I want you to just really lock in on the ways that these words are intended for your good and intended to encourage you. This morning. So let's read Psalm 23 together and then I will lead us in prayer. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word this morning would so encourage and so comfort each person here, that their affections would be really firmly fixed on Christ. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts where our hearts are hard, where love would replace bitterness, forgiveness would flow into our families and into our lives and our relationships, that that this psalm this morning would prove a great blessing, a treasure, in fact, to your people. I pray that you would do this, all of this, for your name's sake, just as David says. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So these are some powerful words. These five words, the Lord 
is my shepherd. These are five words that are going to bring light into the darkest moments of your life. The Lord is my shepherd. We're familiar with these words, but follow me for a moment. There's a danger of familiarity. There's a danger with familiarity. And let me give you an illustration that sort of proves this point. You know, you live in Southern California and, and whether you've lived here for a long time or you've moved here recently, living in Southern California has a lot of benefits, but we tend to focus on some of the things that we don't like, right? We complain about the traffic. We complain about the cost of living. But you know what's interesting? When somebody from out of town visits you and maybe they visit you for a week or, or a couple days and in those days or during that week, you take them to the beach and you take them to maybe the Getty and you take them to one of the presidential libraries or you drive them up into the mountains and you realize just how blessed you are. You had forgotten how blessed you are because you become familiar, right? Familiarity can sometimes uh, breed a lack of appreciation. And what I want to do this morning is remind you in this psalm of how blessed you are. That's what I want this psalm to do, to just remind you of how blessed you are. Because what David is saying about God is what you can say about God. So David's words are your words. If you are a believer, if you've come to faith in God through Jesus Christ, then what's true for David is true for you. When David says the Lord is my shepherd, you can say the Lord is my shepherd as well. And one of the reasons that this is a pearl is because everything else in your life can be taken away. Everything you own can be taken away. Every relationship can be taken away. Everything can be taken away from you and at one point will. But not this. Today and every other day of your life and for all of eternity, you can say and claim and rejoice in these five words. The Lord is my shepherd. So so to see the value of this psalm and to really understand the power of these words in your life. I want to, I want to ask three questions in this, in this message. Three questions. Number one, who is David talking about in this psalm? When do we need this psalm? And what makes the Lord a good shepherd? Who, who is David talking about? That's kind of about identity. When do we need this psalm? That's sort of the need. And what makes the Lord a good Shepherd. That's sort of the nature of the shepherd, the identity, the need and the nature. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So first, who is David talking about? What is the identity of the shepherd? Well, he says in verse one, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd and the Lord is Yahweh's personal name first given to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses says, who should I send sends me? And God says, I am. I am that I am. That is God's personal name. And so God distinguishes himself from all of the false gods in the world. The one true living God tells his people that he is, I am who I am. And in the Bible, this is usually translated as Lord. So when you see the word Lord here, this is the personal name for Yahweh, the very name that God gave Moses at the burning bush. And so God's nature is revealed and God's God's people knew who he was, but they didn't have they didn't have immediate personal access to 
God because God is holy and you couldn't just go into his presence and only the high priest could go into his presence just at a particular place at a particular time once a year on the day of atonement. And so in the Old Testament, they knew the Lord, but they didn't have immediate access to his presence. And then you know that Jesus comes along. He's born of a virgin and he reveals himself in John to be I am. Jesus says in John several times, I am. And you know some of these I am statements. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus says, I am the door, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the the light of the world, I am the true vine. These are statements Jesus makes, identifying himself as the Lord in the flesh. And one of those I am statements in John 10, verse 11, you can jot that down and read it this week. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Shepherd, the son of God is the visible form of the triune God. We don't see the father. We don't see the spirit. But Jesus, the son becomes incarnate. And through Jesus, by faith, we have immediate access to the presence of God. Through Jesus, we have a personal relationship with God. And that's really what I want you to understand is that this is a very personal Psalm. Do you remember that when we went through Philippians, there are certain statements that are really intended to be understood communally? Like when, when Paul says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Remember how we observed that that's plural, that Paul is talking to you, you all as a group. But notice how personal Psalm 23 is. My shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This is one of those Psalms where you can go through and circle all of those personal pronouns and recognize that God is saying these things and they are true of you just as surely as they are true of David. This is intensely personal. Jesus is your shepherd, just as he was to David. And one of the reasons this encourages me is that in life, there are always levels, you know, wherever you work, there are levels of employees, right? Not everybody gets a corner office. Not everybody gets a designated parking space. And if you become a member of like a loyalty program, not everybody's platinum, right? Some are gold, some are silver or whatever other levels there are. But in Christianity, there are no levels. There's no inner circle. Listen, if you've been a Christian for 50 years, or if you just accepted Jesus last night, you are in. Jesus is your shepherd. And all of these amazing personal claims, you can repeat and they can echo in your soul. So what does it mean for God to be a shepherd to those who come to him through faith in Jesus? What does that mean that the Lord is a shepherd. I mean, do we have to take like a, a course in shepherdry to understand shepherding? Well, no. See, here's the interesting thing. When Jesus makes these claims, he says, I am the door. I am the light. These are not literal statements. These are metaphors. These images are metaphorical. And it's true with the shepherd as well. Jesus isn't a literal shepherd. That wasn't his occupation. And we're not literal sheep. I mean, obviously you understand this is a metaphor. But for what? That's the question we have to ask. For what? 
And the context of Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, and the context of David saying, the Lord is my shepherd, relates to David becoming king from his occupation as a shepherd. And I've given you one verse here, 2 Samuel 5, verse 2. You could also jot down 2 Samuel 7, 7. These are verses that show what shepherding refers to in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 5, 2, it says, In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people, Israel. You shall be prince over Israel. And so what we see in 2 Samuel is these three terms used synonymously. King, prince, and shepherd. So what's the point? I don't need to sit here and elaborate on shepherding in ancient Near Eastern culture. The point is that God is David's ruler, David's sovereign, David's king. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he was making a claim about his right to rule. And and if you go and read John 10, Notice how the religious leaders respond when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. They know that Jesus is claiming to be the divine God of the universe in the flesh. And their response to Jesus is, you are crazy. You're crazy. And he's not crazy because he claims to be shepherding sheep. He's crazy, they think, because he claims to have the right to rule our lives. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd... He's claiming to be the divine king of Israel. So the identity of the shepherd is clear. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the ruler of the universe. And when we say the Lord is my shepherd, what we're claiming is that we submit to his rule. We accept his reign in our lives. And we're not coerced into doing that. We do that willingly. We do that willingly. So that's the identity of the shepherd. Number two, when do we need this psalm the most? Like, when will this psalm be most precious to you? Well, notice what it says in verses four and five. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And so this is a psalm that is most precious in times of darkness and discouragement and fear and evil. At times when you need comforting, this psalm will comfort you the most. Now, don't think, don't think, well, I'm not really going anything big right now, so I'm good. I'm just going to check out. I don't know that I need this psalm for two reasons. Number one, if you don't need it today, you'll need it real soon. Trust me, you'll need it real soon. And second of all, the Bible, one of the things I appreciate about the Bible is the Bible is honest with us about how hard life is. The Bible says in Job, what is man but few of days and full of trouble, full of trouble. So when when David talks about the valley of the shadow of death, certainly it applies on like the hardest days of life. It's sweetest then. But listen, you face evil every day of your life. Luther says we have three enemies, sin, death, and the devil. And we face those three enemies, our sin, the devil, and death every day of our lives. And so you need this psalm every day, which means you need Jesus as your shepherd every day. 
So what I want you to think for a moment is, how do I meditate on these five words, the Lord is my shepherd, in a way that you won't forget them because you need them there on on the on the difficult trying days of your life especially it's not going to matter what your gpa was but it's going to matter that the lord is your shepherd it's not going to matter how many pull-ups you can do or none in my case but it's going to matter that the lord is your shepherd look our our world is filled with people that are clinging to the wrong things and in the midst of all that's false this is something true that deserves to be memorized and clung to and held on to for every day of your life so that it's at the tip of your tongue when your life gets bad, maybe quickly, maybe unexpectedly, maybe without warning. The Lord is my shepherd. When do you need it? You need it every day, but especially in days of trial. And really the point here is that Jesus is intensely good. Jesus is intensely good. And this is what we just Saying, look at verse six, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days in my life. Sometimes we think that we're cursed, like we're we're doomed. We're like that guy in the peanuts that I, I forget his name. He's just always got that cloud over him. Right. Sometimes we feel like that. We're just we're just we got a cloud over us. And and God says, no, you don't. You are covered by goodness and mercy all the days of your forever life. If Jesus is your shepherd, your ruler your king, if you've submitted his rule. And so it, it, this reminds you or should remind you of what of what Paul says when Paul says God is for us. If God is for us and it's a question that's really a statement. God is for you in Christ. God is for you. And so no matter how your life is shaping, no matter how things are going, David is reminding us what Paul reminds us of. And it is this, that in Christ, God is for you. You never have to wonder Because you know, he's a good shepherd. So what I want to do now is I want to look at five ways in which Jesus is the good shepherd. And it's all from this passage. Five ways that Jesus is the good shepherd. So first, he leads us. He leads us. We see this in verses verses 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, he, he leads us. That's one of the reasons he's good. Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't give you a book and say, figure it out. You're on your own. Hopefully you're smart enough to figure it out. Christianity is not about sort of internal self-discovery. It's about revelation. And God reveals himself and his word is a revelation of his will. And Christ is a revelation of his presence in our midst in the incarnation. And, and Christ leads us. Now, that means two things. It means his presence and it means his priority, his presence and his priority. Because if Jesus leads you, if if God leads you by his spirit to the glory of the father through the person of Jesus Christ, if he leads you, that means he's with you. That means you're never alone. You're never alone. God is always with you. His presence is guaranteed. If you have come to faith in Christ, God's spirit enters into you. Ephesians 1 talks about that. You can go and read it. The spirit is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance and you will never, ever, ever, ever lose God's spirit. God is with you forever. His presence is guaranteed. But not just his presence, but his priority. If he leads you, 
What does that mean about your relationship with Jesus? He goes first. He goes first. He has the right to go first because he's the shepherd. And that doesn't mean he's just like on a hill somewhere with sheep. That means he's the ruler of God's people. So he's the king. So he goes first. But he also goes first because he has done what we have not yet done. He has already died. He has already been resurrected. He is already reigning. He is already enjoying the fullness of God's presence in God's at God's right hand. He is where we will go. So he leads us in those two ways. When you face suffering, Jesus... You got to remember, Jesus faced suffering. When people hate you for for loving God, remember, they hated Jesus first. And on the day that you die, remember, Jesus went through that curtain. He's gone before you. He's with you and he leads you. So what does that mean for us? If Jesus leads us, then the application is clear. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and we need to listen to his voice. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and we need to listen to his voice. And how do we listen to his voice? By listening to his word. If we listen to his word, we're listening to his voice. You can't go wrong listening to his word. You will always hear his voice. So he leads us. That's one of the reasons he's a good shepherd. Number one. Number two, he restores us. He restores us. This word in the Hebrew can refer to conversion or it can refer to repentance, but it basically has the idea of turning back. So I want you to imagine all of humanity is running away from God. We are rebelling against God. We are running away from God. And one of the reasons Jesus is a good shepherd is that he restores you, which means he turns you back. He turns you back. One day you fell under conviction and you willingly put your faith in Jesus and you might not have known it that day, that moment, that night, but Jesus was a good shepherd to you. He turned you back. He restored you. And a lot of this imagery here is salvation, green pastures, still waters, the cup, the cup that overflows. The cup in the Bible either refers to the cup of salvation or the cup of judgment. Remember at the Garden of Gethsemane, remember what Jesus prayed about the cup? He said, I prayed that this cup would pass from me. That's the cup of judgment. David isn't talking about the cup of judgment. If you're in Christ, he's drank your cup of judgment and he's given you the cup of salvation. And your salvation is overflowing. You're not just barely saved. You are lavishly saved. Amazingly saved. Your cup overflows. Jesus restores us. He restored you at the moment you got saved. But it's not just that moment. He turns you back over and over. When you start to wander from the path, he turns you back. He uses conviction, he uses friends, he uses songs, he uses sunsets, he uses lots of different things to turn you back, but he will turn you back. He will lose none of those that the Father has given him. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 10. He will not lose a single one of his sheep. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. He's a perfect ruler. He'll give a perfect account on the day we stand before him. He restores us. And maybe this morning, that's his work in your life. Maybe you've been drawn away by something else, some temptation, some self-condemnation. And maybe Jesus's work is just to draw you back, just to restore you, just to turn you back. Let him do that. 
Because one of the reasons he's good is he restores us. Number three, he comforts us. You know, it's interesting. Scripture calls God the God of all comfort in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5. God is the God of all comfort. And Paul says God comforts us so that we can comfort others. And this is really good news that in your darkest hour, God himself will be your comfort. And just as with his restoration, God will use lots of things to comfort you. But you have to know it's God comforting you. So when you're comforted, you give praise to God. You never mistake the means of his comfort for the source of the comfort. Because God comforts us. It's one of the ways that his rule is so good. He is the God of all comfort. He is the good Shepherd, and listen, let me just remind you this morning, nothing else will comfort you like Jesus. No one else can comfort you in the ways you need to be comforted, in the ways you want to be comforted. No television show, no food, no personal goal, no bucket list, no country you can travel to, nothing you can do, nothing you can say, nothing on this earth can comfort you like God, like his presence, like his son by the power of his spirit. Jesus comforts us. Number four, he provides. He provides. He takes care of us. Now, this is most obviously true in this passage in regards to our salvation. Jesus provides everything you need to be saved. This morning, you're not lacking anything. Maybe you had a great week and you read the Bible every day and it was just a really sort of disciplined week. Great. Jesus still provides everything you need for salvation. Maybe it was a disaster of a week. Maybe it was just stumble after fall, after mess up, after faithful faithlessness. Jesus has still provided everything you need for salvation. Verse 5 says, he provides for us. Our cup overflows. He prepares a table before us. And, and, and in Song of Solomon, it says that he, he provides a banqueting table. He has brought us to his banqueting table and his banner over us is love. There's an old song. There's an old song to sing. Jesus provides for us. One way or another, everything you have, everything you enjoy, every good thing, James says, is in your life through the hands of your good shepherd. I mean, when you eat good food, you go, thank you, Jesus, you're providing for me. I mean, when you're when you're when your financial needs are met, you can say, thank you, Jesus, you're providing for me. Jesus not only provides overflowingly the cup of salvation, but James remind us. As, as David reminds us, Jesus just takes care of you. And so maybe this morning you just need to be reminded that God is going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. So what does this mean for you? It means you can stop wringing your hands. It means you can stop laying in bed all night trying to figure out how he's going to take care of you and just trust that he's going to take care of you. While you're working, while you're being wise, while you're planning all those good things, just trust that your good shepherd is going to take care of you just as he has taken care of your biggest need, which is the need for salvation. Number five, why is he a good shepherd? He leads us, he restores us, he comforts us, he provides for us. But fifth, he receives us. He receives us. Where's Jesus now? 
He's, he's here. Jesus says, I am with you always. Okay. So riddle me this. How is Jesus with us now? I don't see him. He rose physically. So how is he here with us? We don't see him. He's with us by the spirit. Jesus is with us by the spirit. Physically, where is Jesus? Where is his physical resurrected body? Well, the Bible says after he rose, he stayed on earth for 40 days and then he ascended to the right hand of the father. So there's the answer. Jesus is at the right hand of the father. What is he doing? He's reigning. He's the shepherd king. He's ruling every aspect of the universe. However much of the universe there is, he is sovereign over all of it. Every raindrop, every heartbeat, every planet, every piece of rock hurling through the cosmos. Jesus is Ruling over that. Remember Jesus says to his his disciples in John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. So one of the things Jesus is doing in addition to ruling over the cosmos and shepherding you is Jesus is preparing a place for you. Right now, Jesus is preparing a place for you. And one of the things that makes Jesus the good shepherd, and this also has to do with comfort, is that on the day you die, you will close your eyes in this life and open them to see Jesus. You know, it's like that joke, like you die and you go to the pearly gates and St. Peter. Listen, when you open your eyes into eternal life, you're not going to go through St. Peter to get to Jesus. You're going to have immediate access to your good shepherd, Jesus. Jesus is preparing a place for us Jesus will receive us. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica that if you live long enough to be caught up with the saints in the clouds on the day of Christ's coming, you will be caught up into the immediate presence of Jesus. One of the things that's so true about the Bible is our relationship with God is not mediated through a a human or through a church. If you are a believer, you have direct, immediate access into the presence of God. You don't have to go through me or any of the other leaders here. You have God's word. You have God's spirit. And together we pursue Christ together. But on the day you die, Jesus will personally receive you. He's been preparing a place for you. My wife's out of town. And a little later on today, I'm going to go pick her up at the airport. I'm not going to send someone to pick up my wife. I'm going to go to the airport to pick up my wife. And I'm going to go there personally. And when she comes down those elevators or escalators, when she comes down the escalators, she's going to see me because I've come to get her. And this is the beautiful picture. When we as Christ's bride exit this life and enter into the next, Jesus himself will be there to meet us. Jesus himself is preparing a place for us. Have you ever gone on a vacation where it's all taken care of? Listen, eternity is being all taken care of by Jesus. He has it all covered. You don't need to sweat a single detail. He's provided the cup of salvation. He's provided the banqueting table. And on the day, the toughest day of your life, when you pass through the veil, he will be waiting for you the second you pass into the other side. He's made all the arrangements. He's a good shepherd because he receives us. So here's my question for you. Is he your shepherd? Can you say this? He is my shepherd. Is he your shepherd? Have you 
put your faith in Jesus? I'm not talking, is he your mom's shepherd or your dad's shepherd or your roommate's shepherd? Is he your shepherd? Have you come to realize that you're a sinner and you need to be turned? You need to be restored. Have you confessed that? Have you realized that in all the universe, there was only one person who lived a sinless life, died and rose again? That's Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Have you turned your life over to his rule and reign? The real application point of this passage is to look to Jesus and trust in Jesus. But I want to ask you, I want to invite you to ask yourself that question honestly. Is he your shepherd? And if he's not, settle that matter today. Don't leave today without putting your faith in Jesus and trusting him to be your good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that that we belong to Christ just as personally, just as sweetly as David did. God, I thank you that there are no inner circles in your kingdom, that we all have access by your spirit into the throne room of the great I am. I thank you, God, that we can know today that we are your children, that you are the good shepherd, that you are my shepherd. Lord, I sincerely pray that if there's anyone here this morning who isn't sure if Jesus is their good shepherd, I pray, Father, that by your spirit, you would settle that matter in their heart right now, that they would cry out to you and in their heart, that they would trust in Jesus to be their shepherd, to save them and to restore them and to provide for them and one day to receive them. Father, would you replace our fear with trust and our anxiety with courage? to love others as you have loved us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.